0: The Gun Experiment proudly presents Chopping It Up, and here are your hosts, Mike and Big Keith.
1: What's up, big man?
0: Not much, so uh, we traded some jerky.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we're sitting at a table (laughs) surrounded by jerky. Two two jerks surrounded (laughs) by jerky. Two
0: jerks surrounded by jerky. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, so I forgot to bring it last week, so I wanted to bring it in uh, and and give you some.
1: Yeah, I want to do summer sausage again. I, I yeah, liked, I that was good. The, yeah, I, when you made that the one time, I do remember that. Yeah, and I was telling you just for the listeners, I did uh, Shank mm. Shank roast. That was pretty good. Did the presentation and the picture looked yeah. really good?
0: Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Um, Thank you also for, by the way, uh, getting the twenty two shoot scheduled.
1: Oh no, no you worries. Know, add no that worries. to your
0: list of things to do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Uh, at least we have a date after after. So you know, normally we do it before Christmas, but. It yeah, it's only a week. Christmas out, right? is coming quick. Christmas came quick, yeah. So, yeah. anyway, I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning. So, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And today's episode is brought to us by Target Sports USA, the official ammo sponsor of the gun experiment. Check out their own line of ammo, New Republic, which is super reasonable in price and comes in at a whole host of great calibers. If you want the best deals possible, be sure to check out their Ammo Plus membership, which gets you 8% off, free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more. All for ninety five dollars a year, and if you're looking to support our show, make sure you are following us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all those places. Uh, Instagram is obviously where I spend most of my time, although I've been uh, a little bit more on Twitter and and other places lately. But uh, we are going to be a little sneak little sneak peek here. We are going to be doing a pretty big contest uh, in early January. It's a it's a pretty decent. Uh, item pretty pretty uh, good price tag on it and you could win it but make sure you're following us on Instagram. So before we introduce tonight's guest co-host I want to talk about on-site firearms training. They teach everything from beginner to advanced classes and can make you a better shooter and more capable defender with just about every firearm platform under the sun. Keith and I really like their weekly skill builder classes and have gotten so much value from them. If you want to improve your shooting, look no further than on-site firearms training. Sign up for classes today at OFTLLC.US. They're certainly not weekly for us. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. It's been, it's been a little while. All right. So actually, speaking of training, tonight's guest host was a guest on The Gun Experiment a while back and runs one of the sickest training facilities in the country. He's back to chop it up with us. Please welcome Alex Hartman from Ridgeline Defense. Alex, how you doing? You're doing well,
2: guys. How about yourself?
0: Good, uh, Alex. I was ex- half expecting you the first thing to give us our time about saying we haven't been training enough.
2: Uh, no, nah, you know, like life <laughs> happens. Yeah, um, it is what it is. You know, it's it, it's one of those things where you know I, I like to think that dudes, you know that we talk about three phases of mastery of any skill, right? So you start with the mechanics phase, you move to the mastery phase, you know, with enough skill and repetition, uh, but then eventually. You know you got to come back to the maintenance phase and so you know depending <laughs> on your level of mastery is how much maintenance keeps uh yeah. how it takes to get you right back to that razor's edge so that's true putting that more work up front and you can kind of uh i won't say let it slide but you know you can you won't fall as far so what's going on with you how you been We've been good, man. It's been as uh, busy. I can't remember the last time we talked. It was earlier in 23.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's uh, about right. It's It's been a while, but uh, you guys are super, super busy. I mean, aside, I know you're redoing the website, and you had a lot of new stuff going on sort of uh, just within the company, but you also are uh, – you took on a very, very big venture. Uh, you want to talk about Ridgeline Rifles?
2: Yeah, so we launched um, – So it's actually funny, probably if you scroll far enough back on our Instagram, you'll probably find some of our original uh, artifacts, if you will, of a rifle project back in 2017, 2018. Oh, wow. Um, And really what what it was coming down to is we were kind of prepped to go on this this path back then, uh, and then when we had the opportunity to start the training facility – uh, we kind of jumped on that, and that was you know obviously kind of required all hands and, and all funds and all everything. Um, but once you know training hit um, a pretty good stride. we've got a really good crew that's running the facility now. I mean the dudes are are otherworldly um, in, in background and skill and ability and their ability to teach. Um, you know I started to look at like what what's next for the company, right? and I, I kind <clears> of <throat> you know blew the dust off. This whole project, and and you know, quite honestly, we had we had learned a lot. I mean, at this point, we had put another th- like thirty five hundred precision rifle shooters through training, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we had seen a lot of trends, established a lot of data, and, and you know, had a lot of ideas, and so we were able to uh, you know hit the network up, and we hired uh, an engineer a designer and a project manager who have all kind of done this before because all of us in the company at that point were all end users. We didn't have any manufacturing experience or or anything like that. and So went and found the dudes with the best backgrounds and the best um, industry knowledge and experience that we could and uh, kind of set the bar for thresholds and objectives based on our end user experience and the data and notes that we take, taken. And we kicked it off from there. And It's kind of been a wild ride. It's been an awesome learning experience for the last 13 months now.
1: So now is this, what would you classify? Is it a DMR? Like what kind of build is this? So the first rifle
2: coming out of the gate, I would, uh, I would call it an LPR, a light precision rifle. Okay. Um, So it's not, I'd say it's an order of magnitude above what the industry has come to know as an SPR. and really comes down to our receiver design. We're using a semi-monolithic receiver design Mm -hmm. uh, that takes all the influence uh, from the rail, from bipods, tripods, barricades, et cetera um and takes it away from the barrel nut the barrel itself so you you don't have any bend or shift uh that's coming from that connection point which is kind of like the achilles heel of the ar utilized in a precision
1: role and this is based off an this is based off an ar platform semi-automatic
2: first the first one out of the gate is based off a small frame ar um it's a billet receiver set semi-monolithic receiver set we're using like You know, I I joke, the guys around the shop like to give me a hard time. But uh, you guys ever see the movie Jurassic Park?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, So you remember the old dude with the white beard and like Colonel Sanders looking motherfucker? Yeah. Uh, So like all the boys are like, yeah, every time we're going over something and and I look at the engineers and the the designers like, well, you know, we could do it this way and probably, you know, save a couple of bucks or we could do it this. I'm like, which way is the best way? And they're (laughs) like, well, this way is the best way. And I'm like, then we're going that way. And then uh, I look around the table and all the boys just look at me and they laugh and they go, yep, spared no expense. And I'm like, come <laughs> on guys, give <Right. laughs> me a break, you know? Um, but it, it, like I said, it's been good. So, you know, we went
0: after. Um, Listen, as long as those rifles don't break down electric fences and bite you and tour <laughs> yeah. cars, then I th- I think you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not
2: making any promises, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it's, it's been wild you know we we went specifically you know at the end of the day you know it's a business right so when you when you figure out i mean if people knew how much money and time and effort it took to actually bring something from paper to real life that's not just like a white labeled forge set right um you know it's it's sizable you know and uh so you got to look and kind of pick and choose your battles so we knew where we wanted to go after in terms of like gaining true performance advantage but we also knew that we didn't have you know, a never ending pot of money to go into. Of and, course. And push different. The, the small frame AR lends itself to incremental um, improvements simply because there's other things that are done for you. You know, like bolts are done, buffers are done, you know, gas tubes are done. Like there's a lot of stuff you can go around, so you can kind
1: of pick and choose where you're going you know, spend your
2: design, engineering time and money. Right. And to a
1: certain extent, a spring is a spring, right? Like,
2: Yeah, to, to a certain extent. You know, you obviously, like, quality parts are what you want to Sure. Make, but you don't have to, like, like oh, man, I need to, like, spec a custom detent spring. Like, right. No, they, they make that. You know what right. I mean? So it becomes a little bit easier in terms of design, engineering, and, and cost and, and management like that um, versus, like, jumping straight into, like, a large frame or an SR-25 pattern gun where there's nothing that's, that's off the shelf. Everything has to be designed from the ground up because there is no – sort of like universal technical data package for it, like there is for, for a small frame. Um, so that's, you know, we, we kind of picked and choose our battle. So the first one out the gate is what we're calling the, the RD-15 LPR, and it's billet-receivered, semi-monolithic, you know, um, single-point cut, 416 stainless barrel. It's got a, our, our proprietary gas system, which is, is super cool. Um, you know, it's running a Viltor A5H2 with a spring code, green spring, Geissele trigger, um you know and all, all the rest of the controls are uh are all ours are all custom from uh kind of like um semi-ambi um it's got an integrated arca around the six o'clock of the entirety of the front rail oh, all the way cool. back to the magwell so it's nice for not only obviously running arca based attachments tripods bipods etc but also just running off of bags and barricades and whatever right. it takes a lot of that lateral wobble out so um it's been good man we've we've put it in the hands of some and when we first started the project, kind of how we start every project is, you know, I, I call up all my guys, hand them a questionnaire, and then call up everybody that I know who I think is worth anything and give them the same questionnaire. And we compile all the data and all the the wish list. And, you know, some of them are off the wall. And you're like, yeah, probably not, bro. Um, but some of them, you know, when you, when you find enough that are overlapping, it's kind of where you know you're going to put it on. And, I mean, the test protocols we put this thing through are, are pretty gnarly, so. That's the first one out the gate, followed shortly behind, just because we have such a, a, amount, a large amount of um, law enforcement sales through our original Outfitters brand. We've got a forged uh, small frame coming out. Um, it's kind of more, more typical of what you'd see, um, you know, from a lot of other manufacturers. Uh, you know, I, I like to joke with that gun. I'm like, you know, with a, a small frame forged gun, like you almost can't screw it up. You got to really try hard. <laughs> uh, but what we do is, is we just have, you know, just like training, right? There's, it's, there's no advanced things. It's just brilliance in the basics. So, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into the barrel. The barrels are hammer forged barrel. That's our profile, our gas system, um, our rail with barrel nut, which is, you know, has again, a focus on deflection, even though it's still a, a TDP spec, uh, upper that it, it amounts to. Um, and then other than that, you know, everything else, you know, Carpenter 158 mil spec bolt, a5 H2 Greenspring, um, and then started up from
1: there. When you're going, when you finally get a product together like this, and you're going to kind of put it through its paces, how do you, and I guess what I'm talking about more is maybe like more like, for lack of a better term, like torture testing. Like you're putting it, really putting it through like, you know, some hardcore stuff to make sure that it's going to actually, you know, deliver as promised. Function. Right? How far do you go? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and I'm, this is not a joke. It's a serious question. Like, how far do you go to the point where, like, yeah, that's just not practical, you know? Versus, yeah, this is how far this thing physically should be pushed and still be able to function. Do you have a, a set criteria for that?
2: We do, and then we start. We started with it, right? We said, hey, this is immediate part of the threshold and objectives of the of the the project. And so a lot of people misunderstand torture testing and they'll do a lot of things uh, like I consider dumb shit, right? Like right. testing needs to be a few things. It needs to be like scientific, specific, and repeatable. And if it's not, it's just you You, you have too many variables to do true testing, um, you know, then or it's not scientific, meaning like it's not recreatable.
1: Well, because a lot of people, uh, when you see these t- quote unquote torture test videos, they're doing it for clicks, right? Like they're they're doing it. Hundred percent. So like, so, yeah, so like, like if, if you're running it, out of this it helicopter, it, or, yeah, if you're running it over with your F-150 and dropping it out of a helicopter, is because you know it, it gets a lot of people to look, but that's not really necessarily practical, right?
2: No, no. So we look at you know true database uh, or metrics based performance. And so what we looked at, there's two things that we needed to measure. First is accuracy and accuracy over longevity, and then the second thing is um, reliability, right? And so. You know, we did for our first guns that we tar- just tested the system were done for reliability testing. And there is a suppressor test in SOCOM called the Surge Test. And the Surge Test provides an accelerated life cycle based on, you know, essentially full combat load of 240 rounds. And so we ran, uh, the gun was assembled and lubed, uh, like original, like how it would come in a box. Uh, and then we took it out and we shot 20 consecutive Surge Tests um, without cooling. And so that what that equates to is basically 5,000 sustained rounds without a single stoppage or malfunction or failure to fire. So there's a lot that goes into that. That's not just the gun, like ammunition plays a part in that. So, you know, we were able to just make sure we had good test ammo available yep. um, or our precision side. Once we started testing, you know, barrels for accuracy, the first thing that they did was they did a 5,000 round accuracy test. Um, I can put it. You know, we posted a group to Instagram not long ago, but we put up the first sixty rounds out of a barrel, and all sixty rounds shot a 0.853 MOA group. So basically, that's, sixty rounds into eight tenths of an inch at 100 meters. Yeah, um, and so that's you know we were looking at that, and that's cool, but you know that's that's new, right? Usually, a barrel starts to shoot its way in somewhere between 160 two hundred rounds. So we checked accuracy again at that, and then we checked accuracy after five thousand rounds. Uh, because that's what's specced by the mid-range gas gun tests and the mid-range gas gun protocol right now. So, you know, we took these benchmarks of being able to do sub-minute, uh, sub-minute new, sub-minute at 5,000, um, and then different guns had different lives, right? So some guns, they pass accuracy 5,000. They continue to just shoot normal pace without burn, like superheating anything, just to see where accuracy truly fell off uh over 1 minute which is sort of the threshold for a true precision rifle. Yep. Whereas other guns, you know, once they passed that, then they started their surge test cycle. Um would have to pass, you know, 10 consecutive surge tests. So we'd see accuracy over 5000 and then we'd switch to reliability and make sure that it would all work. So each kind of gun lived its own brutal, torturous life based <laughs> on what we assigned it and what we were trying to test. Some guns got lubed, some guns got nothing, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
1: So the important question here, cause I know listeners are out there and, and I can tell you just from, you know, listen, go, go to Ridgeline's website and look at the drone footage of the actual, uh, facility. What you guys do is very impressive. I mean, the facility, I was watching it, you know, pre- prepping for the show and I was like looking up the website and it's your facility is just so cool, you know, but if you guys are putting it out, I know that it's quality. I know that it, you know, it, it's going to meet all the standards it needs to meet, but when is it available and do you have a price tag on it?
2: So we do, um, price tag is going to be going out the door for the initial run is right at 3k. So it's price right where, you know, like a Radian, a little less than a Novesky kind of right in that ballpark. Okay. Um, based on feature set, that's, that's right where it is, you know, Knights LPR, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, Timeline, we're looking at – so one of the things that we're not doing is we're not taking pre-orders or mm-hmm. sort of like, I, I, as I like to joke, like poor man's crowdfunding. <laughs> so um, we're not doing that. When we started this project, I allocated enough funds that we could put the first 500 units on the shelf um, before we had to you know move a single one. Mm-hmm. And so what we really wanted to do was we didn't want to do that. And we also didn't want to be that company that – you know, crowd funds, and then there's project creep, and then people are butthurt, you know, they've been waiting, you know, rightfully so for their stuff for six months with, you know, poor communication or no communication. And, you know, and tell me you haven't heard this story in the gun industry before, right? Um, And then what we really wanted to do was when we said that it was ready to go, it's because we were assembling and testing your gun and packaging it to ship straight to your FFL. Like we didn't want any lag time or anything like that. Gotcha. So when we when we drop it, that means that there's product on the shelf that'll ship that week to you. So okay. uh we're looking at Like, Q
1: one, you look at quarter one?
2: Yeah. Well, early, early, early Q one. Okay. Um so we're we're we have a goal, you know. Our goal was we were gonna ship in January and and so far it looks like we're gonna be doing that. But if there's any creep, you know, again, we'll still be there at Q one. But you know, we've got a list going, a wait list for guys that want want it. Um, the list is bigger than we have allocated already, so we've already got the second set in in flight. Um, Good. But the reality is, you know, we didn't want to play those games like we've seen so many cautionary tales uh, right. of in this industry. So we're looking, like I said, early, early, early Q1 to have rifles in hands, um, you know, of the first 100 uh, clients. And then basically every couple weeks after that, it'll be the next hundred, the next hundred, the next hundred.
1: Cool. Very, very cool. Well, you just mentioned cautionary tales. And I always say that New York is a big cautionary tale for, uh, for gun owners. So, uh, we're going to kind of get onto some, uh, some news here. So Keith, what do we got here? This is gun law news.
0: It's, uh, you know, by the time we're all listening to this, it's a, it's about 10 days old now, but, uh, on December 8th, uh, Supreme court, uh, ruled on a few of New York State's uh, Concealed Carry Improvement Act laws that had come out. Um, They ruled uh, it unlawful for the state to say that no guns are allowed on private property unless the property owner says it's okay. I mean, says it's, um, yeah, says it's okay. Instead, it's reverted back to what it was, which is you assume it's okay unless explicitly told it's not okay, which makes sense. Um, They're not... uh, they're not allowed to ask for your social media, um, and for permit pur- purposes. For, for permit purposes, correct. That's concealed for the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. All of these examples that I'm giving are in reference directly to the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Um, so um, they have to keep the questions objective. Did, were you ever committed of a felony? Yes or no. You know, not. Uh, we think you might commit a felony because of your social media posts. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, the panel did also allow, uh, discretion when issuing a CCW, that's not in our favor. So, uh, we all kind of interpreted Bruin as, um, you, you know, shall issue instead of must issue. This sort of goes along the lines of, um, shall not may issue, shall instead of may may issue. issue. Correct. This one goes more towards may issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean so, a lot of this stuff that we we didn't win, I think is going to work its way up to eventually to the Supreme Court. So I don't think this is by any. Means no, I over. think
0: that's a perfect example of one that will work its way yeah. and, and get through this. And I apologize. I originally said the Supreme Court. It was Second Circuit. That's my fault. Um, the uh, Second Circuit also. Uh, one of the one rule one of the things that were eliminated that are in our favor is that you do not have to, um, provide. Uh, I'm sorry. Cohabitating documents are allowed, um, so you you have to say who lives in the house. That's not in the greatest idea. I I would prefer not to do that, but unfortunately, that's still in place. Yeah. Um, sense of places are still allowed in certain uh, situations. Um, this one is an interesting one too. I mean, it feels it, it feels like. This is another example of one that probably will get shot down when it gets to the Supreme Court but you know um, they're misinterpreting some of the laws that were around uh, after 1791 when the Second Amendment was on. So they're you know even in 1791, it wasn't um, it wasn't approved upon society to run around with your gun waving out in the open saying, you know, I'm going to shoot this place up, or that—that that wasn't lawful, of course, right? Right. So they're sort of taking that interpretation uh, and and going a little far. Like you're allowed to, you were allowed in 1791 to carry a firearm peacefully. So if you're carrying it peacefully for your protection, right, that's fine, right?
1: Alex, your your business is in New Hampshire. Do you live in New Hampshire?
2: Oh no, I live in Massachusetts.
1: Okay, so you live in a fairly un. Uh, on two a or unfriendly two a state, then
0: <laughs> you can't have a machine gun permit in Massachusetts, dude. Massachusetts
2: <laughs> is wild on what they like, what is considered, not considered, you know, you know, it really leaves your head scratching, right? And I've lived all over from New Hampshire to North Carolina to California and, and, and all over, and you know, none of it really makes any sense when you boil anything down. And the problem is, like, I mean, your average person who's who's creating this legislation and pushing stuff through has zero concept of what it is that they're talking about or legislating on, and the unfortunate reality is that the average you know voter or member of the voting public is also insanely poorly educated or uh, not involved, and so you just get like these these pockets of things, and, it, and it's hilarious to me. Like I see it here you know, I'll see things where it's like, they're almost like out liberaling each other, like <laughs> thing. And then well, Hold they my don't beer realize, yeah, well, they don't realize the second or third order effects that what they, what they you know vote on have. And then they realize that it affects something that, that they care about, you know, a couple of years later. And then they're like, well, why did this happen? And it's like, well, carry the two. And this <laughs> is why that happened. Right. and, so I just I see that all over. Um, you know, fortunately, you know I'm a dual resident. I've got residency in New Hampshire as well, and uh, New Hampshire is such an easy state to work with in yeah. so many ways. From being a citizen to being a business owner, just uh, everything about it is easy.
1: Um, it's right on their license plate, right? Like they're, yeah, they're pretty free. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah mm-hmm. You know, you'd think. That, they, the taxes keep creeping up. but um,
1: <laughs> So you're an no, interesting just, case to me, though, Alex, because you, a lot of times we talk to people who were either in the military uh, and or and obviously in the gun industry if we're talking to them. So you you went in the military and you, you know, you swore to uphold the Constitution. And then now, obviously, you're in civilian life, but you're in the gun industry. And a lot of people that we talk to that are in the gun industry, there. are you know, they're from Texas, they're from Tennessee, they're from South Carolina, they're from Florida. And I, I talked to them and it's like, they don't have any concept of like what we're dealing with or going through. It doesn't even like register for them. I mean, they get it, but they don't. But in your situation, you know, you're as deep as you can get in the industry. But when you go home at night, you know, you're beholden to these laws. Like you, you know, by, I'm pretty sure Massachusetts, you can't have, are they a 10 round state? Like you can't have one, 10 rounds in a pistol.
2: It, yeah, there's a whole bunch yeah. of interesting interpretations. If you read the law that Massachusetts has regarding, quote-unquote, high-capacity magazines, um, the license that you get supersede, like, allows for you to carry high-capacity magazines. It, it's I mean, I'm not a lawyer or anything like that, but, like, it, it's just why it says, like, you know, oh, it bumps up the number. It's like, you know, and then obviously being, you know, in the reserves forever and having all this other stuff too, like, there's – You know, it's wild to me what's okay. And then, then, you know, being an FFL, SOT, you know, what can I have, you know, on me for travel, for work purposes? Like, it's wild what the difference is. To your point, though, about having, you know, yes, we're uphold the Constitution. Like, just like our forefathers, I believe that, like, I believe in the rules I believe in. (laughs) Um, You know, at some point, I think there's, like, you know that's why I spend most of my time in New Hampshire. You know I'm, I'm right. in New Hampshire. You know five to seven days a week. That's where I have, like I said, an additional residence. That's where I stay. Yeah. Um. You know, and and because I choose to not have to deal with the absurdity that is, yeah. You know what I would consider, you know, a failed or failing state. Um. But when it comes to understanding the plight of gun owners from, you know, now being on one, so. On the training side, we get a lot of guys that come from New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut and New Jersey and, you know, the the northeastern part of the seaboard, you know, from the mid-Atlantic up. So a lot of our drills or something would, are, are broken down to be 10-round compliant because right. in most of those states that – that that's a loadout that they can observe, right? Right. Right. Um, on the manufacturing side, we're looking at stuff that's going to drop here towards the end of twenty four and into twenty five, specifically to support our friends in states uh, that that don't have the favorable gun laws, right? So, you know, we're looking to do things to help out, you know, our friends and our clients and stuff that that are affected by the lunacy that is, you know, modern
1: firearm law. Well, what's crazy is, you know, you go to these states and in the eyes of, of I can't even say liberal, but in the, in the eyes of the anti-gun crowd, we'll say that, in the eyes of the anti-gun crowd, they just can't understand why you'd want a gun. And, you know, this is a perfect segue into the next article I wanted to talk about, which is the Chicago mayor, uh, Brandon Johnson started filing these lawsuits against uh, what he's calling rogue bus companies transporting migrants from southern border states. So he's upset that states like Texas and Republican governors are sending buses of migrants to Democrat-controlled states that are labeling themselves as sanctuary cities, and the Republicans are arguing that the action's necessary to show that, you know, the rest of the country what border states are dealing with, right? So that's kind of like there's this, like, Infighting between them, and I'm thinking of this, and I'm thinking you're admitting that there's this problem of people who you haven't vetted, who are you know overwhelming cities, and yet you don't want us to be able to protect ourselves. And this is this hits really close to home because this actually happened right where Keith and I live, where uh, Mayor Adams in New York City he 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 couldn't. Couldn't handle the, the 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 number of migrants that were coming in, so he just shipped them to our neighborhood.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't just him. I mean, uh, it was some other states too. I mean, there were uh, private jets and planes that were flown into our local airport
1: and then yeah. bus from there. So it, it wasn't just New York City that was sending them in. It was well, other states as well. This, this Chicago mayor, you know, he's calling for these bus companies to be held accountable. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> who's holding you accountable? You know, oh. you said you're a sanctuary city. You you open you opened your Cities' doors. So did New York. Oh, I'm not blaming just Chicago. I'm, but in this particular article, and you know they're implementing new rules on bus companies and how many can come in per day and all this other stuff. And uh, you know, there was one of these Chicago aldermans was uh, quoted as saying that like that residents are fed up. You know, like they're tired of it. They don't. They don't want it anymore. And I don't know. I just. I hope that this is people are starting to wake up to the idea that this stuff is just. It's not so the reality sustainable.
2: Is you said something just then of who holds them accountable, and the reality for politicians is that their constituents hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no, uh, you know, and and the law to a certain extent, right? But the the reality is for most constituents, especially if if you know, with the polarization that we do have in this country, things are going to have to get a point of like. An order of magnitude worse than they are even now which is not something we should hope for or want or desire right but it's going to take that before you get a swing back with the pendulum in the other direction i mean if you remember i mean you guys are from new york city i mean people that aren't familiar like google new york city in the 70s yeah yeah it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like the new york city of today right. right and and it took things going so far i mean it looked like a war zone right and it took things going that far before they started to swing back the other way but it took 25 30
0: years it, to do it, it. took a long time but I, and i and cuz we do <sighs> live here and not terribly far from the city we experienced it in the 80s you know so as they were cleaning it up through the 70s but into the 80s uh, the way they fixed the problem was they packed all the, you know, uh, degenerates up on a bus and shipped them to uh Chester Goshen area, Camp LaGuardia, it was mm-hmm, called. Mm-hmm. And they shipped a bunch of, you know, people up there and then they were just walking the streets of, you know, Chester and Goshen. Right. Which is just, like a
1: small, very small, you know, t- yeah, town.
0: Yeah. T- town Just the same way as you're talking about them, you know, walking, like we we had. Mayor Eric Adams brought some up yep. to our neighborhood, and they were went to a hotel, and they were well, walking around. Like, and, I, that's and by the way, happens. like
1: I, I want to just I, this is really important. I was thinking, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, like you know what? You made yourself a sanctuary city. Like shame on you. But I have to be honest, I don't like what the Republican governors in these states are doing either. Because the bottom line is, and I, I had put a, I'm not going to go into details, but there was another article that I had found. There was a, an illegal immigrant who was suspected of murdering a a young girl. And, you know, I mean, this is a guy that wasn't here legally and left his own devices to be in our country. And if you're a governor in Texas, if you're the governor in Texas, you're a governor in a in a border state and you're like, you know what, let's just ship them up north that they want them. Well, that's not good either. You know what I mean? Like the answer isn't just like we'll make it someone else's problem because now they're in our country. And if they're unvetted and they're our problem, we all have to deal with it. We all we all have to deal with it at some point. We're not united past our political no. beliefs. No, definitely you know? not.
0: We're we, you're united if you if we agree politically. We're on, not united if we don't agree politically in this country these yeah. days. And well, that's and, not, and
1: that's the problem and, that you're talking. about. And Alex, you you talked about New York in the '70s, the Times Square and all that stuff, the Red Light District. I mean, you're seeing that now in San Francisco, right? Like you're seeing anything you read about San Francisco right now. Is they are just letting it just go to hell, you know there are people people who just living on the streets, and no one cares. It's like it's just Dude, i
2: so I was out uh out in the Pacific Northwest earlier this year teaching, and I had a bunch of guys that came through from from seattle p d and who were they were kind of telling me all about you know the the chop jazz and all that stuff, yeah, and uh you know they were like, yeah, man, they just let it go and go and go and then finally one day they were like, nope no nope, th- we're done they're like you guys have basically your orders are you will clear that out and they were like it was the greatest day it was the greatest <laughs> day like, some of the stories they had were hilarious <laughs> i actually got one of their their uh you know op op jazz um coins they gave me it was just pretty cool, uh, that's but, cool. Uh, dude the stories they were telling me i was in tears laughing of just like you know, these, these like holier than thou self-righteous, like 20 year old spoiled white kids, just like not thinking that the rules applied to them. And then all of a sudden learning in the hardest way possible that (laughs) those rules absolutely applied to them. (laughs) Some of the stories were just
1: hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, listen, you got to hope that eventually things turn around and that people start to realize that there are consequences, you know, for that kind of behavior. So, Keith, let's bring it back to guns. Although this is not this is not in a good in a, in a good way at all. Yeah, you. Uh, this is an article you had come across. I uh, read it
0: before uh, coming on the show, but you know, classic instance of uh, road rage turned into somebody brandishing a firearm, um, and uh, they ended up tracking the individual down, and um, he ended up he did possess a permit, um, but he didn't have any guns registered him on that permit he did have an open felony at the time of them figuring out who he was. So they, uh, they, you know, were able to uh, serve him on that charge and, uh, and go from there. But yeah, I mean, some lady honked at this guy and uh, you know, he got aggravated and ended up in the, in the parking lot brandishing a weapon towards, towards her. And she called the police and um, the police, uh, he, he fled after that point and uh, the police did, were able to track him down.
1: So what was weird for this in this story for me is this happened in Connecticut, and I did have to look it up. I was pretty sure of the facts, but I I did look it up. So in Connecticut, you do have to re-register your uh, permit once a year, and I'm like, how did this guy even have a permit at this point? Like he's got a felony. He's you know, well he had a permit, but no firearms on it. So I guess, but you would that means at any point he could get a firearm. It just it seems like that system doesn't work. Like if the point is to re-register once a year, so they could flag this kind of stuff. And the guy somehow still has his permit, you know, and, and well, a gun was it, not... Was that, it
0: was his permit expired? Was it due to register
1: after, I, I, after, after I, these had,
0: charges were given yeah, to him? That part I don't know. You know, maybe he's only had this warrant out for yeah. two months. And yeah.
1: So, Alex, this is something I've said it many, many times in the show that I feel that gun owners, good gun owners, responsible gun owners, that they tend to be uh, very much the opposite of what people might think in terms of they're, they're actually less violent. Like if you're carrying, you tend to like de-escalate because you know what that could lead to and you know what the consequences are after the fight, so to speak. So-
2: Usually they also have the most
1: to lose. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good people point. That,
2: people that, you know, carry, carry a gun, you know, not in uh, professional duty, but in, you know, either off duty or, um, you know, just to protect themselves or family or whatever- you know, more often than not, you know, are, are, are doing so now I will say there's, there's a part of firearms training and education that I think is, is woefully behind the performance aspect, which is the kind of overall understanding of the totality of the circumstances, right? What happens if you do end up shooting somebody?
1: Yeah. And you were up, you brought up a good point. We had a guest on not too long ago. I'm, I'm thinking of, um, Matt Larson mm-hmm. and uh, that episode hasn't aired yet. But one of the things we talked about and he talked about, um, and he, he's with, um, West point and, and, and the director Army. of combat. yep. And one of the things he had said is like the people who are most prone to violence usually, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, but kind of like the biggest losers, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like you're, you're the guy who's got nothing else to lose. And that's why you're like, violence is actually a feather in your cap in those situations. So you kind of said it from a different perspective, but the people who have the most to lose, you know, they're usually like really good stewards of gun ownership because because of that reason, right? They don't want to get wrapped up in that kind of stuff. So. Well, I
2: mean, there's, there's the financial penalty. Yep. There's the social penalty. There's the legal penalty. There's, you know, you could, you could, have you ever heard it, it's like, you know, we used to joke, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of that where it comes down to like, hey, dude, you might be right in the letter of the law and the spirit of the law and everything else, and you still might get jammed up. Right. So, you know, the idea is, you know, de escalate and avoid. I mean, avoidance is the best thing at all costs. The second best thing is de escalate. And the third best thing is win fast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Very well put. Um, So we're going to get to the second half of the show. Before we do, I want to just do a quick ad read here. I want to talk about our friends over at 4 Patriots Survival Food. 4 Patriots provides long-lasting and delicious food options that are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it most. Their 72-hour kit is super affordable, and in my opinion, it's a great way to start your long-term food prep journey. They offer survival food and so much more, and now they've done something awesome just for our listeners. The folks at 4Patriots set up a special page for you at 4Patriots.com forward slash gun experiment 10 so that the listeners of this podcast can get weekly discounts and deals, but act quickly because the deals will change each week. Remember, head to 4Patriots.com forward slash gun experiment 10 each week and grab those deals. So we are uh, we were talking about this this topic I'm about to go into uh, some episodes back, And Alex, I can't remember. Do you have children?
2: Yeah, I got uh, two boys.
1: Okay, yeah, I thought so. And so Keith and I both have sons. We also have daughters as well. But we were talking about this idea. I think the original topic we were talking about was the apprehension that young men have to talk to women these days. (laughs) And so that was, we had covered that a while back. And, you know, as as fathers of sons, I think we kind of were like, oh, man, like, you know, things aren't going to be easy for our sons when they come of age. And then I find this article and uh, there was recently a study that put New York uh, at 144th out of 182 major cities based on dating opportunities, affordability as a single person and outlets for recreation, and uh, basically saying like New York's not a very good good state for, uh, for, for dating. Uh, it was actually 167th when it came to just dating. And uh, it, if you look at the list, I mean, there's a lot of cities that are are like this, and so I read the article. This is written from a you know a young female's perspective, and she's talking about uh, the rise of the Me Too movement. That it did a lot of good in curbing workplace misbehavior and whatnot, but that it also had this uh, unintended consequence of stigmatizing uh, like polite and well uh, mannered attempts for a guy to get a phone number. And so I just thought this was interesting, as like a, the father of a son. It's like it's exactly what we were talking about. Yeah, you know, like, it's it's like <laughs> I, like are our sons not going to be able to like actually like approach a girl? Like, is well, that just not going to happen?
0: I, and which you know it it, it sounds very um, when you read it the way she wrote it, it sounds very uh, sterile. Yeah. Right. But my interpretation of what she's saying is like a well mannered, nice man. Can't come up to me and say, Excuse me, you know, how are you? It's, I, I saw you from across the bar, right? And uh, you're the best looking girl in here. Like, how you know, can, can, we, can yeah. we take this somewhere else? That's like polite, well mannered, right. right? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, but you, you're afraid to say that now, like, well, a, was, and you don't have the balls to say because you, you, yeah, your interactions are so, so, are so in social,
1: right? There yeah. was another poll that I mean, this blew my mind. Said forty five. Again, I know polls. You know, it's it's based on a lot of different factors and whatnot. But still, forty five percent of men aged eighteen to twenty five, which is like prime dating years, mm-hmm. had never approached a woman in person.
0: I so, think that is a legitimate stat. I would. Agree. I don't
1: think there is any uh, any fiddling with that when statistic. You, when you when you bring in like fiddling. the online date, yeah, you said fiddling. <laughs> <laughs> These boys are doing a lot of fiddling. They're fiddling themselves, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it just it makes me really sad. Um, I think you guys, I think you're looking at it all wrong. Oh, let's hear. Yeah, give me another perspective.
2: All right, so one, you said, you know, hey, you know, they rated it rated low. I mean, New York City, I don't know. I've been there, I spent some time there. I've got some friends that work there. There's plenty of opportunity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Listen, now, is it, is it going to be the most inexpensive place to date or live? Like 100%? No, not. but like, hey, man, you get, you get what you pay for, right? Right. But when it comes down to, to raising sons, man, you know, I look at it like this. And my wife and I were talking, the other wow, we were we were out taking the boys trick treat or treating Halloween, you know, about you know, a little over a month ago. And, uh, you know, I used to, be, I, I said something to the remark of like, you know you know what age do you just let the kids run i mean i I felt like by the time i was my oldest son's age i was basically feral right uh, (laughs) get outside and and my wife was like oh you know times change and i was like no fucking bullshit times change i agree with that change because you let them yeah and so like my boys you know my boys play sports you know they're on like multiple like club teams you know they they do Jiu jitsu makes martial arts. They've, I mean, my kids, my first gun my kid ever shot was a 240 Bravo. Hmm. Like, you know, my my six year old can run the bolt, you know, and hit targets at 400. He also knows how to run an MP5 SD. Like, you know, if you make your kid a meat eater, all you're telling me is that they're going to be the rarefied meat eater in a sea of vegetarians. Yeah. <laughs> And when they go up to the girls who are just waiting for somebody to walk up to them, that they're gonna have the the pick of the litter. The
0: of so the, yeah, yeah. Well, that's an, that that's a good perspective. I don't I don't disagree with that. If you raise a meat eater, they will be okay.
1: Yeah. Well, and I agree with that to an, to a large extent because I feel as though it's like when we talk about like uh, school performance, right? So there's a lot of I feel like mediocrity in terms of. You know, a lot of kids are not maybe doing as well in school as maybe in past generations. But I always say, like, shit, that means your kid does. Like, your kid just has to be like average from like 30, 40 years ago, and he's gonna be a rock star today. You know, like in terms of, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't want your kid to strive to be well, high the, level. The,
0: the problem is, is what you're saying is that their and <laughs> their level is now considered a higher no, level no, than it should be. Uh, yeah, That's no. That's what that sounded but what like. But I'm,
1: what I'm saying is, like, if your kid has any drive, any motivation, yeah. there's not much competition. Like, they will run over everybody else. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to take a lot, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, Alex, to what you're saying, and I do think, I was thinking about this today, and, like, it, Keith, you say it all the time. You're like, we're just animals. You say that, mm-hmm. like, on a regular basis. And you look at... Every animal species, and I have to be very careful how I say this, so just give me, a, let me get the whole thing out. <laughs> Every other animal species, the, the male is responsible for initiating contact. And we are- To we, a large extent. We, we are, most of it. We are much more civilized in the fact that we do that verbally and we do it you know a little more eloquently yeah. than than wild animals. But in my opinion, like women expect- They expect a man to go up, initiate the conversation. And so the fact that so many men aren't, to your point, Alex, is because men aren't being told, like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, go do it.
0: Yeah. And they're just, you know, I mean, that's just not how we interact with people in that, you know, like, our age group didn't have, I'm bringing it up, social media and all that other stuff. Like, that's how these, this generation is trained to communicate with each other. Yeah. So- you know, they have the safety of their keyboard and the safety of their room and their screen or whatever. And they don't have to take any risk of, you know, going up to a woman face-to-face and introducing yourself and asking about out I mean, me. I have
1: some single friends that are, like, they're talking about, like, the whole, like, online dating and, like, swiping. And, like, I don't know anything about it, but they're, like – I'm, like, it sounds like – Well, that's a totally different – that's a totally different spectrum. That's a whole group of the generation that wants no
0: commitment and wants to be just, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of right. stuff. You know,
1: and uh, but a lot of them are sort of like now at the point where they're like they're not loving that either. You no, know? There's, like, that's that's a period of time, right? Yeah, like, uh, that you're you done.
0: know, uh, if you eat McDonald's every day, you're not
1: going to love it. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? it. it is definitely tough in terms of society is pushing this agenda. Uh, what,
0: one thing we didn't talk about in this article that I found funny was that they were surveyed one person that talked about how they handle the. Uh, um, the amount of dates that they go on, they, that they're hedging oh. their bets. They're going on like five to seven dates a week to try to hedge their bets to meet as many people as possible. And they make and then, spreadsheets. And they make spreadsheets to like rank how they met these guys and what they felt. I was like, that's
1: crazy. Alex, could you imagine me a spreadsheet of the women you were dating?
0: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no. no, I did I can't imagine having a look at another fucking spreadsheet. No,
1: I I, I can't imagine being that organized. Like I feel like, I feel like when I was single, it was like chaos. There was, I was lucky to remember the girl's name. Yeah. Well, maybe the the, the spreadsheet. I don't
2: want
0: a spreadsheet. That's the
2: point. I mean, that's, that's the thing that you like, you just talked about, you know, social media and stuff like that and and how people integrate and, and, you know, how people are allowed to act. you know, like my wife and I, like we, we, we choose to raise our funds, you know, in, in a, in a certain manner where, you know, we want them to be, you know, out in the community, um, you know, doing the right thing, whether, you know, you know, I'll, I'll take a look, you know, if we're walking up, um, like the other day, I was walking out of a restaurant with one of my sons and there was an older woman who was part of a a group of of four women Uh, that must've been like her, her daughters and granddaughters or something like that. But we were walking out and she was, you know, visibly having, you know, physical issue navigating the stairs, right. Just from age and everything. And so I took one look at my son and he knew exactly what to do. And he ran up and offered her his arm and, and, you know, helped her down the stairs. And I was like, you know, because he's seen me do that. And so like, right. Doesn't know them, never seen it before in his life, but he knows like, I need to insert myself there because I am a man. Like, that's what I have to do. And so like, we choose to raise our sons in a manner where they understand their role and responsibility in society as a man and as an American. And, that's how we choose to do it. And we just try to verify or keep them, you know, with that, whether it's, you know, sports, I think, play a huge part in it, you know, in the self-confidence.
1: Um, I agree with that.
2: You know, getting people out there, being in front of stuff, you know, being in front of people, speaking in front of people, you know, just, it, it, it makes such a huge difference. And so, you know, we don't permit social media in the house. Um, it's just how we choose to, how we choose to do it. So, yeah,
1: no, I agree. I agree. And like, you know, a lot of times, and the media plays a big factor in this, you constantly are hearing, you know, negative things. The media is very good at that. And you know, I've read a few things today that were kind of on the negative side. And, you know, this article, I thought this presented an opportunity as you kind of put it um, very, you did a good job with it, Alex, of, you know, this is how, what you make of it. You know, like if you allow your sons or you allow your children to act this way and think that the world is going to be this way, then that's how it's going to be. If you let them know, like, no, like this is how a man should act, then that's how a man's going to, you know, that that's how they're going to grow up to be, uh, to act and the kind of man they're going to grow up to be. So with all that said, Keith, this next article, I found it and you found it separately. And, mm-hmm. um, I knew right away this one was meant for you
0: there. <clears throat> let me start off by saying, we all know I'm an aviation guy. I love, I love airplanes of all types. But there is nothing, absolutely nothing, in my opinion, more patriotic than hearing a fighter jet fly by. (laughs) It is like, it is pretty freaking cool, especially when they're not there to attack you, (laughs) when they're there to defend you. But um, there was, uh, we had everything going on in in, uh, Israel and and with uh, the Gaza Strip there and Hamas, Um, there's been obviously a lot of... Missile attacks and, and even uh, this article talking about drone attacks from uh, from Yemen. And um, basically there's been a lot of news on a, a U.S. destroyer Kearney who's been, you know, hitting a lot of um, uh, drones and, and shooting down missiles and stuff like that. But there also was a documented uh, first-ever air-to-air kill of a cruise missile by an F-35. And uh, that is pretty freaking cool. And... Um, that's where uh, this
1: article kind of got me excited. I should note it was an opinion article. Uh, the The actual title is remind, F-35 Reminds China Who's Top Gun by Shooting Down a Cruise Missile.
0: Then that's because the SU-35 35, SU 35 or whatever, the uh, Chinese version that looks similar but bigger than the F-35, they've not shot one down yet. Gotcha.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, this is one of those things where you I, I hear it all the time. I hear about, and Alex, I'm actually going to kind of I want to pick your brain on this in a second, but I hear all the time about like, you know, our military is, you know, not what it was or there you know, recruitment is down. And I hear, you know, I've heard a lot of things about equipment being sort of not up to snuff. And then you hear mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and you're like, okay, like, you know, we still have engineering here. We still have the ability to, you know, to, to create some pretty awesome shit. And, uh, that article, that article was pretty cool. It was uplifting. It was good. But Alex, I'm curious in your opinion. We had, like I said, we had another um, uh, military guy, and he brought up a really good point And that inter- interview hasn't actually aired yet, so I'm giving some spoilers. But his point was like, when you hear like recruitment is down, he said we just got out a lot of a lot of long war, and a lot of times <clears throat> um, that affects recruitment, and you know, a lot of times sometimes parents of those wars don't want their kids going into what they just got out of. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, how do you feel about the state of the military? You
2: know, uh, everybody jokes a veteran, like the last, the last hard class was their class, right?
1: Right. You know,
2: but the military is, and will always be a a dichotomy or cross section of the citizenry at large. So as the culture in America changes, you know, be prepared to see that change, you know, kind of reverberate through the military. Now the military does or has for the last 200 and something years, you know, been a pretty good, uh, done a pretty job of assimilating anybody from any walk of life into the culture of that organization to do what that organization is called upon to do. And I don't see that changing. You know, we've, we've had to ride some pretty gnarly political wins. Um, But when it comes to like equipment, we've never been better equipped than we've been, than we are today ever in the history of in the history of warfare. Like we've never had the stuff that we've had today. And you know, we talk like, oh, you know, if we want to be hyper critical or self-critical in the military about how we are, you know, we're not this or not that or how you know we're you know, we're not whatever we were, you know, in certain year when. But like I mean, I think the war in the Ukraine was a pretty good indicator of like, well, You know, everybody thought Russia was big and bad until they ran out of gas and realized that their nods were fake and they didn't have batteries. Mm. So, like, you know, you look at our fighting force, and it is still the most skilled, most dedicated, most professional, and most well-equipped fighting force on the planet, like, period, the end. So I don't, you know, is recruitment down? Yes. Recruitment's down for a myriad of reasons, from politics to COVID to long war to economy you know there are a million things that go into that um, as to why those trends happen, right so it you't can't, you can't just pick one and say like, "Oh, it's because of this like there's, there's a whole bunch of other reasons too um, you know overall, you know I can tell you the exact date that anything the military had to do with stop being my problem um, <laughs> <laughs> you know I can I can tell you exactly what date on the calendar that was. Um, And so, you know, it's not my job to solve their problems or or, or fix it, you know, but unless they want to come and hire me and pay me a ton of money as a consultant. But, you know, the reality is, like I said, you know, when people say that, I also have the privilege of being able to work with the kids that were coming up behind me and, and behind the other guys at Ridge Lines at the different units and organizations that they come from. And... They're just as dedicated, just as motivated. You know, they're smarter than we are. They're standing on our shoulders and we sit on the shoulders of giants. And so, like, we're getting better. Equipment's getting better. You know, it just the world moves them forward.
1: Yeah. And and you brought up a really good the way you said that or started that was really good in terms of you're right. Like everyone always thinks their generation. I catch myself doing it all the time now. Like I'm 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 a Gen Xer. You You've turned into your father. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. <laughs> like I was, I literally said this at like a family party. That like, so my wife is is a bit younger than me, so she's actually a different generation. Crazy, and yeah, uh, you know, I get that joke all the time, mostly from <laughs> my father-in-law. And uh, and then like, she has a couple brothers, and like they're politically not aligned with us. And there's a lot of like variables. And I flat, I was like listen, I was like, I'm generation X. I'm like, we're the, we're the best generation. I'm like, other than the great generation, I'm like, we're the next best. And like, oh my God, it started like world war three in the house. Like everybody's like going off on how their generation's better. And I just think that's just how it is. You know, people just, they just feel that the generation after them is the worst. Yeah, exactly. Period, the end. Yep,
0: exactly.
2: I so mean, I, I, flat out, if, if, if you didn't grow up in the eighties, I think you're,
1: you're not worth anything. <laughs> I, I see. Exactly. You, you, you know if you didn't have Thundercats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's pretty much uh, time to end this show. Uh, but before we do, this just was really, really funny. Uh, funny Keith moment. So uh, Alex, you said you have boys. Do you, do, do you guys do the whole elf on the shelf thing?
2: So by we, you mean my wife.
1: Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So yes. So uh, Keith found this article. Uh, about the naughty elf on the shelf, and I'll let you kind of talk about it. And that's not what's funny, though. So tell well, the story. Tell the them.
0: article is funny. Yeah, So, like, it is. what happened was the article came across my uh, feed, we'll say, and the, um, the title on the article is, uh, um, my husband... Uh, hold on here. Let me pick it up uh, right. My husband put our elf on the shelf in an X-rated position. He's no longer in charge. <laughs> <laughs> and... I just I instantly started laughing because to be perfectly honest, what I thought of was when I was growing up in the '80s. Yeah, everybody remembers the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, oh. um, I think it was a Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes art uh, co- a comic that was like Calvin saying, "If you do something bad enough, you won't get asked to do it again." Right, <laughs> and that's what I thought of when I when I saw this, and uh, I sent this article to you, and I said. I'm putting my fucking elves in an, in an awkward uh, X-rated position so that I don't have to be on this job anymore.
1: I, I believe what you actually said is something in the event of the, I the, these the, fucking elves. The, I hate these fucking elves and the elf is about to get it on with Barbie or something along well, those lines. Well, yeah,
0: I, I, I said, uh, I said, I am putting my, well, the, and this is what this dad did. He put uh, his elf uh, in a, uh, in the sink in a makeshift hot tub with all the Barbie dolls. Yeah. Uh, the great thing about, me doing this would be that for somehow, some way, we adopted a third elf. We have three elves.
1: Yeah, going we got to talk about house. that. How did three elves happen? I, you will have to ask my wife.
0: <laughs> how three no, elves it, happened? It, it, it was too many of those hot tub parties with the Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so, Alex. I don't know. The, the but I literally, and then I sent this article to you, and then that night, I had gone out for a drink with a couple friends, and um, my wife sent me a text message on the way home. And was like, hey, can you move the elves on your way home? And I responded to the text message,
1: and I sent this to <laughs> you, Mike. Fuck those elves. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Alex. Like my, my wife does some creative stuff, but I'm glad my wife's the one doing the creative stuff. I do stuff. not do creative. I stick them in lights. I th- throw them in a tree. I don't care where they go. They just get Listen, moved. I'm all about my kids being kids, ha- having some innocence. I just don't want anything to do with the elves. Uh, no, this, the elf is a bad idea. Yeah,
2: our dog stole it the other day. It was pretty running through the house. There, kids are chasing after it.
1: I'm Perfect. Like, You're stealing Christmas go. magic. Go <laughs> <laughs> run, run free with the elf. All right, well, I think that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and a very special thanks to Alex for hanging out with us and chopping it up. Be sure to head over to Ridgeline Defense, to check out all of their training courses and their soon-to-be-released Ridgeline Rifle. If anyone out there has any opinions or thoughts on tonight's conversation, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, or Spotify, and let your voice be
0: heard. I just realized, I guess I better make sure my kids don't listen to this. They, uh, they'll they know them. Elves don't move themselves.
1: It's a very good point. <laughs>